This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. This episode of EM Weekly is brought to you by the Emergency Management Leaders Conference. This conference is going to be a must attend. The EMLC is bringing leaders together from federal, state, tribal, and local governments. There's two keynote sessions and eight planetary sessions. There's also a CEM workshop and some testing and also a career fair and much, 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 much more with lots and lots of opportunity for networking. This is going to occur on June 12th to the 13th at the Saddlebrook Properties in Tampa, Florida. The Emergency Management Leaders Conference is uniting leaders from both the private and public sectors in emergency management. For more information, click the link in the show notes or go to emlc.us. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. I think it's going to be a game changer on every level, transparency and instant donations and, and tangible giving and coordination on a whole nother level. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly, and this week we are talking about donations management, also known as the second disaster. If you heard episode 30 with Anna Cave from Houston, she goes really into detail on the systems that they used and the struggles that they had with managing donations and how they had to get the stuff out. So those are some pretty big issues that we have to deal with. This episode is going to really get into how we can do direct donations. But before we get into the interview with uh, Steve Major, one of the discussions that we've been having on how and when to use social media. And the discussion turned into our emergency managers seen as alarmists. I guess it is uh, how we use social media and how often we are, are wrong. You know, a lot of times with the coming storms, uh, they look really bad on the radar. And, you know, we say, hey, look at this area here. We need to evacuate. There's flood areas or whatever. And it doesn't really come out the way that we thought it was going to be. And so we do look sometimes like alarmists. And... <laughs> However, the other issue that we have too with, with social media is could we cause evacuation fatigue or too much information or the point to where people just sort of turn off what we're having pushed out with social media and other uh, such as other mass communication as well. Do people just start turning us off? And, you know, those also can cause issues because there have been times when people have had evacuation fatigue, they didn't evacuate and it caused some issues like their homes burned down or we had a landslide or something like that that occurs and they just didn't heed the warning because maybe they just felt that we were going to be wrong again. So I think that if we use social media for information that's already pushed out via the regular media, mass notifications, things like this, not a first time out, just additional information, I think that that might be a better way of using uh, social media. So that instead of it being a, are we an alarmist, that we already know this information has been vetted, uh, we've already pushed out um, alerts through our mass notification systems, and that now we're putting additional information inside there. 
And I think if you look at the way the um, CDF uses uh, Twitter specifically during wildfires, I think it's a really great uh, use of social media. They're pushing out the information that's, that's uh, I don't want to say already known, but it, it's, it's out there in other mediums as well. But this is a way that they can update people directly. So instead of waiting for the news cycle to roll back around, the information is there on Twitter. And I think that's used really well by CDF. California Department of Forestry, that is. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Cal Fire. Sorry, California Department. So, sorry, Cal Fire. I, I completely killed your your uh, vibe there. I think that Cal Fire does a great job of using social media to give information regarding uh, fires as well. So, you know, we can use it um, in post-disaster as well, uh, giving information where people can get food and water, um, where they can get shelters, where they can, uh, you know, go for resources and services. I think that's a really good use of social media. Um, so that's my take on it. But we can even use social media to get a hold of people who are making donations to tell them what the communities are, are really looking for and what their needs are. And so that being said, let's talk to Steve Major about Cordon 8. Hey, welcome to Ian Weekly. And uh, today I have with me Steve Major. And uh, he has a really cool idea and concept uh, for donations management. And so I'm not going to talk too much more about it because I want Steve to tell his story. So, Steve, welcome to Ian Weekly. Thank you, Todd. Good morning. Good morning. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got uh, involved with the idea of emergency management. Well, originally, I guess you could go back to the earthquake in uh, 1999. Uh, There was an earthquake in uh, Istanbul, Turkey. It was a lot of my friends, my girlfriend and I were trying to figure out who we could donate to to make an impact. And that search, that process led us to the frustration of uh, realizing that there's not many places that you could donate to knowing that the money will actually get there, not just go into the coffers for some future, general speaking, uh, aid, and that a lot of that money might go to overhead and there might be a lot of corruption and high salaries, etc. And so out of frustration, literally uh, went to Turkey physically taking that money, that aid donation, just making sure that it would get there literally the only way back in 1999 to physically make sure that a donation could get to the people you're trying to get it to was to physically take it there. And so now I find that uh, even after Hurricane Sandy and other experiences, um, we're still in that same situation largely. And so after Hurricane Sandy, I went with um, Team Rubicon uh, my first that response and I was lucky enough to be working with them on their first opportunity to use their system military-grade software that had never been used before in, in a billion application. And uh, this was the first application that was used at Force Multiplier. Amazing tool. But I immediately saw that so much more that could be done with this. There were so many more layers of information. So I realized that there was so much more that this tool could do. It was a Force Multiplier, which in that scenario of the disaster, the relative chaos of the uh, first week or two after a large-scale disaster, it's amazing the value or the need to gain any type of efficiency that you can to maximize those forces, both on the volunteerism side and on the victim side. There's an absolute sense of urgency on so many levels for so many reasons. And so realizing there was so many more levels and so many more things that this tool could do, there was so many things going on in that time, though, in Hurricane Sandy and the, the Rockaways in Queens. Uh, we had mold groups going on because it was a big issue with mold and, and uh, how we were going to handle that and trying to prepare for people's homes that had been flooded out. 
with dirty water and the mold that was growing and causing some illnesses and the threat of uh, an outbreak uh, related to the mold. So it was a big pull on both directions to go on one side towards the mold group and help with that mold effort because I was really involved in that. But we had also this other team of people breaking off with educators and in the industry of first response getting involved with just disaster data management. And so I took my choice between the two where I thought I could be most effective. And I had a good friend, uh, Peter Corliss, that was there volunteering as well, that uh, I gave as many of my ideas because I was just trying to give those ideas to Palantir. I just wanted to make, uh, obviously, to make that tool everything that it could be and for it to be in everyone's hands, which, well, long story short, I guess a few weeks later, me trying to give those ideas away just, uh, it was a dead end, either through those channels with those groups after Hurricane Sandy or trying to contact Palantir directly. It was just a dead end. I did get to speak to a couple of the engineers directly within uh, Palantir that told me, hey, those ideas sound great. That sounds like something that could be a game changer for us. But we don't think that our structure, our team is going to even be able to hear those ideas or think about that direction. We have a direction. and I wish you luck, but we're not going to be able to uh, even propose those ideas. We're just, our hands are tied. And so I got that response from two different engineers. Uh, so all this time since Hurricane Sandy, trying to, those are the obstacles of, of trying to get this idea out there, even just giving it away to anybody that will listen, tweeting it, emailing it to the world, posting it. And so finally, I came down to Hurricane San, uh, Patricia in 2015, uh, where I'm at currently. And in the response here, I found also there was no information here now in 2015, three years after Hurricane Sandy and, and theoretically the development of these disaster data management tools. And there was no tool that I could have that anyone in the community that had needs where I could coordinate those needs. There was no tool available to me. Even though I had been an affiliated volunteer with Team Rubicon and other groups, I still didn't have access to any of those tools. And those tools still don't have those extra features and layers and and abilities that, that I saw in that first those first days using Palantir after Hurricane Sandy. So how can your tool that you're developing um, help emergency managers in the management of donations? Well, one of the exciting things about this tool, C8 Coordinate, one of the, it's a relatively a separate aspect, but it's completely inclusive in the way that we've developed it, is uh, the ability to facilitate direct, specific, immediate, zero overhead, like they all should be, I mean, with trans full 100% transparency donations. And so within this tool, if people post about their needs, whether it's the individual victim themselves posting about their own needs or whether it's a first responder or disaster, uh, first any type of first response group or volunteer that enters that data for them, direct purchases can be set up. So let's say if they are, are like a, the group of that entire neighborhood, that entire community that was flooded out and, and in that stage of getting recovery, disaster recovery, perhaps the most common things they need are drywall and insulation and plastic and mold cleanup supplies and, you know, the, the typical common uh, rebuilding supplies in, the, in that stage. So we'll be able to set up with local suppliers uh, standardized purchase orders for those wish lists, basically. And the only thing that those suppliers have to do is agree to uh, take their those purchase orders in pieces. So instead of taking a, a $1,500 payment for a, a wheelchair uh, ramp rebuilding materials at the local lumber supply store, uh, they just agree to take it in, uh, in 
$1 increments or whatever they come in as uh, with the donations. And so that when that last donation comes in, that $1,500 uh, item is that ticket is paid off. There's already volunteers, disaster groups, people waiting, needing those uh, materials to be able to put their forces to work helping that person with that wheelchair ramp, let alone obviously the point of view of the, the victim themselves. And so this will facilitate that with one click. Anyone from anywhere in the world will be able to find this need, see that there's only a $10 window left to be paid on that $1,500 of materials. That, mm -hmm. that, and you'll see also the volunteer groups that are set up, coordinated already to install those materials once, once installed. And you'll be able to go to that group's C8 trust rating and check out their background and their history. And you'll be able to see this person's, this disaster victim's trust rating, if they have one, any kind of background, if they've had uh, five other wheelchair ramps for them and they're selling them on the side, or right. if there's anything like that. This is a, trans a tool of transparency and a tool of, of coordination and direct aid that, that I don't think exists. So this is sort of like the Uber, if you will, for uh, donations management, huh? Uh, you could say that. It's, it's really, a, you know, I think, a crisis management. I think they call themselves the Craigslist Okay. Approach or the the Craigslist tool of disaster management, and I've always had that kind of mentality too. This is just this is just a tool of simple filtering of information, being able to have a place to enter data, to be able to control that data with privacy filters, and to be able to have backgrounds on those uh, profiles, background profiles that we can see uh, with credentials and any reports or suspected reports of fraud, anything like that. All of that on the table in a transparent way that everyone can use because that's, that's one of the biggest frustrations that, like I said, even after Hurricane Patricia, even as a former or current, if you will, affiliated disaster volunteer, I don't have access to some of those tools because they're only available to certain tool, uh, entities, only affiliated volunteer groups and, and only certain of those. Right. And so in, in the big picture of a disaster, not just short term, but uh, long term, because disaster recovery takes years, many years much more than two years though. you know we're talking about a long term and so for this tool is is for the full for that full cycle from the immediate to the, to the long term and it puts everybody in coordination and gets everybody on board because some of the big keys of disaster coordination i mean they say the, the four c's of disaster partnering communication cooperation coordination and collaboration and the way i look at it if you're only dealing with out of the of an entire community of let's say a million people, a city of a million that has a you know, hundred thousand people displaced, a large scale disaster, relatively speaking, if you only have a handful of people with such a powerful game changing tool like Palantirs or like the Crisis Cleanup or all the other tools that are currently available to people, if they're only available to 175 affiliated groups around the world and perhaps only 10 or 12 affiliated groups on that particular city at that particular moment, and there's only maybe five people in each one of those groups, you know what I'm saying? We're, you're taking a million people off the table. Right. Not to mention the rest of the planet could be able to, with C8, it's, it's a game changer because the whole planet now can go in and see someone's need and fill that, bridge those gaps. So if I can jump into an example. Sure. Hurricane Maria. I used to live, I spent uh, 11 years in Puerto Rico. And this was, again, just showing how we still don't have a tool that's filling this need. But I had a friend of mine that was a, uh, an attorney that I knew. I lived in Puerto Rico, like I said, for 11 years. An attorney that I'd worked with on a couple of uh, cases on a professional level that posted on Facebook that her mother, this was a couple of weeks after Hurricane Maria, sorry, in, in Puerto Rico, her mother, she posted, had a medical need, a rather extraordinary, you know, serious need, a medical need for a, a constant electricity. And I don't know what the nature of that need was, but it was serious. 
And two weeks after the hurricane, that generator went out and it was unrepairable. And so their backup plan, you know, they, they thought they had a, a backup plan. They had their backup generator. They're, they're solid. They're in good shape, right? But you really, if you have a medical need for a generator and if you live in a place that could be hit by a big disaster that could put you out of power for weeks, if not months, I mean, we're, you know, Puerto Rico, some people could be out of power for a year before they get power back. It's already been five months. So they really need to have a backup generator for what is now their their permanent power, which is their their backup generator becomes their main power supply, and they really need to have a backup for that. That's, but to get back to the story, my friend posted about this need for the generator going out on Facebook. Uh, I responded to her, "Hey, I, said, I used to be with Team Rubicon. I can reach out to those guys and see if they've got any contacts, see what they have going on in Puerto Rico, see what they know. If they have, you know, they've got other tools available to them, like Palantir and and." Uh, crisis cleanup that I don't have available to me. So let's see what, I'll reach out to them. And while I did that, while I reached out to them, she reached back to me and said, oh, uh, my boyfriend is actually with Team Rubicon. He's here right next to me. He's one of the three people with Team Rubicon that are here in Puerto Rico. And so they didn't have any information about this either. And so they were turning to Facebook, right? which is still going, I mean, that's, that's current. Now here in Mexico, the earthquakes, people are turning to Facebook, social media to ask for life-saving or serious needs and they're just turning to facebook and so it's a slap in the face <laughs> honestly how badly you need we are right right no I, I agree with you in the game and again one of the game changers that i mean i think it's a massive game changer to have direct donations i mean we can talk about that for a long time because that's a massive game changer on so many levels but bringing everybody putting this tool making it free and available to all i mean it's like this is a purely altruistic tool this i call it a tool of buying for the people it's just it's that simple it's a purely altruistic motives and so i think that we're going to be able to raise more funds that we need to create the tool i think that we're going to be able to raise more ad revenue from the app than it will cost to maintain it i think that I, this is just going to be a tool that's going to have access to give on so many levels. But when we bring everybody on the planet in on something like this, also, well, I can get back to my example in Puerto Rico. Uh, my friend had that need, posted on Facebook. Nobody had it. Team Rubicon, nobody, there was no source. They're struggling with C8. They could put that, post that need. They could also post that they've got Team Rubicon connections and their toast rating uh, gets pulled into that so mm -hmm. people around the world could see that there's a need. There could be a local generator supplier that was also hit by the hurricane because remember, stores were cleaned of generators before the hurricane and, and now this is two weeks after the hurricane and so it's, and there's chaos of even getting water onto the island at that stage and so really uh, getting your hands on a generator with little communication available to you and few people, a few, you know, little access to even transportation, it's, it's an extraordinary need. With C8, uh, a local supplier might say, well, I lost my delivery truck and I don't have any money to give because I was also hit by the storm, but I do have one generator that I could give to you at wholesale. So they post that response on that posted need within C8. Somebody else might say, hey, I don't have any money to give and I don't have a generator to give either, but I've got a truck. I can make that delivery. So they post that in that coordination right there in that, in that uh, posted need. Uh, so that coordination is starting to take place with the, the missing factor of just that wholesale cost to be paid for. Right. And now people around the world that see that there's you know a major crisis in, in Puerto Rico, how can I help? You don't have to go to, and I'm not putting down the Red Cross or any of these other groups, I'll just, uh, but they don't have to go to one of those groups and donate to something that they're never going to have any idea where that money went, right. when it got there, how much of it actually got spent on aid 
And so that, that there's no tangible feeling of giving, even though we, when we do, we give partly because it makes us feel good right, right, right. of helping others. It's that's, that's the beauty of giving. Right. But when we give in a scenario like that, we don't get any kind of tangible feeling. And if anything, we know that somebody is making a $600,000 salary and you know, it's the abuses and the, it doesn't feed that process. And so now we're changing the game and allowing people from around the world to surf around and find out how can I give with C8. I go into C8, open it up, say, okay, what do I have to offer? I've got, I can give money. How much money you can put in a window of more or less what you're looking to offer. If you wanted to only search for the last payment on an item, Let's say, for example, even if it was a little item like a mosquito net for $25, but there was still $5 left to be paid for it for someone, for a specific person, uh, they could search for just those last $5 items so they could just close out items and just be the person that closes out a few items. But they would literally be paying, just going in and clicking, finding that specific need, actual specific need, clicking on it, making a direct payment just like they would to any other uh, online uh, purchase so that they have no, there is no intermediary, there's no, it would be a direct purchase with that lumber supplier or local, whatever that need is that you're filling. And so the standard terms and purchases, everything else, but that you're going to close out that last item and be the person that actually makes that physically happen. And again, usually these items are waiting to be picked up. There's a great need on often the volunteer side and obviously the victim side. So what are some of the challenges that you're facing with getting this app up? The answer to that question and more when we return from our break. The modern emergency manager wears a lot of hats, so how do you also fit in the needs of your exercise program? It is a matter of time, and how much is your time worth? A lot. TTX Vault is the answer to getting some of that time back. We offer pre-assembled tabletops, drills, and functional exercises spanning NIMS, hospitals and healthcare, special operations, and more, all coming from the archives of the Blue Cell. Get a jumpstart on the exercise process and visit us today at www.ttxvault.com. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. Welcome back from that break, and thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. Without them, we couldn't really bring you uh, what we have. So check them out and let them know that you came from EM Weekly. Let's continue the interview. So what are some of the challenges that you're facing with getting this app up? Well, like I said, getting the word out, or I was trying to give it away all this time uh, to either existing companies like uh, um, Palantir or, or Crisis Cleanup with no no right. feedback or nobody listens. It's uh, They're on their own path. Uh, partly, it might be relative to the altruistic nature of C8 and then how I'm, it's going to maintain its purity. That could be part of it. I don't know. But so that's one of the obstacles. Uh, the other obstacle is just as a disaster volunteer, I just, I don't have the funds necessarily to be out and doing all these things. Uh, it's, it's being the disaster volunteer has put me into the financial situation of not having the ability to invest and, and create some of these tools. So that's one of the things that has drawn it back or held it back uh, during this time. And now 
what I'm doing is, especially like I said, with uh, Hurricane Patri uh, Maria, and not to mention Irma and uh, Harvey and the earthquakes. Uh, there's been such a uh, um, a rush of disasters, relatively speaking, lately, with continued uh, from my perspective and social media you can follow it yourself if you have it uh there's amazing need still exists because people are extraordinarily frustrated with the lack of coordination or the lack of ability to coordinate in disasters short and long term not to mention the corruption and the abuses and the lack of transparency and ability to fight that as well so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you how would they get a hold of you well, we've got a, a Facebook page uh, open up for uh, C8 Coordinate. You'll be able to find us there. And uh, we're gearing up. What our plan is to gear up uh, to get some momentum. And, and this interview with you, hopefully, is part of that, uh, getting the, the, the word out to the world, not just the first responder and disaster aid and volunteer uh, world, but also just to the population in general that have already suffered uh, through disasters and realize how valuable such a tool would be and how it could have helped their needs or, or helped them in filling someone else's need. I think getting the word out is going to be big. And then when we go to the Kickstarter campaign, I think that this project is such a no-brainer. I think it's going to be a whirlwind of a, one of those projects that really funds itself well if I can do it right. And, and that's just explaining the tool and getting some uh, momentum and support from, from people like uh, Emergency Management Weekly and, and other people that follow these types of issues and tools. It's just a matter of realizing the, the need for such a tool and then seeing how this tool could fill that need. That's all I have. That's my job. There's, I mean, it's been my job since Hurricane Sandy that night to say I, I failed. <laughs> but uh, we're it's unstoppable. I've talked to a few different uh, software developers and even for a small, they've even confirmed with me, this is a simple uh, software. This is really just uh, entering data and filtration and the communi direct communication and mapping. It's all, it's all straightforward stuff and being able to set up direct purchase, the transparency and the history profiles. It, there's only a few pages of it and it's really simple. And so one way or another, yeah, I'll fund it myself. I'll just focus on work and fund it myself. But I don't think that'll be the case. I think we're going to get some uh, some attention, some momentum, and some support from the bigger groups, even from the Red Crosses and the Team Rubicons of the world. But this is a tool that I'm just, we, the people, are putting in the hands of everyone. And I think it's going to be a game changer on every level, transparency and instant donations and, and tangible giving and coordination on a whole nother level of including everybody which again the four c's how could right. you even attempt to have four c's without including everyone i think we're going to change the game and so i think it's going to be a no-brainer and we'll, we just need that that momentum that knowledge of what we have what this tool is going to offer when do you uh start your kickstarter campaign well, as soon as I can get some uh, momentum. And so we've got a few people now that are getting involved, like a couple of code writers. Nothing's actually written yet, uh, or the architecture of it isn't uh, established yet. But I do have the functionality of it developed, and um, some of these people are, are talking about getting more involved, even on, a, on donating their time level, let alone uh, being repaid by a, a Kickstarter uh, or other crowdfunders. But so we do have some momentum and some growth. What my plans and my goals are is to... Uh, hire somebody to write that code for just the uh, demo, a working demo of C8. And so ideally we'll have the tool with uh, C8, we'll be able to go in and at least enter data, create a profile and create a post. And so even if those posts are, aren't going to automatically and go into the mapping and go into the filtration, the searches, we can manually enter that and then update the demo. And so we can, I think for just 
for a small amount of, really soon, I hope within a couple of weeks, I hope to be able to pull together some code writers that will be able to create those demo. It will be a partially functioning demo that people can actually enter their needs. And once we've updated that demo, which we could do frequently, it could actually begin to coordinate aid, even when it's just nothing but a demo, but it could actually begin right. to be to some extent useful and at least show its use, usefulness, future usefulness as well. What's your timeline on this, do you think? Like I said, if I can uh, hopefully in the next two or three weeks have a, a functioning demo that we can give away to the world, then if we get a little bit of momentum with a couple of interviews, um, and then we'll go to a 30-day uh, Kickstarter campaign and see what happens. And uh, I'll spend whatever I've got on uh, advertising it, which isn't a lot, but uh, I'll spend uh, what I can, everything, I, you know, and all I've got on advertising it and uh, see how it goes. And this is a transparent, uh, absolutely transparent project, and so... This, to me, this is an international tool that is going to potentially have fundraising abilities around the world and ongoing forever. It's, it's going to be an on, uh, open source uh, tool for everyone. And so I'm hoping that that fundraising won't just be an initial boom, but, well, like I said, after that point, I think there won't be, it, we'll have we'll have an excess at that point. And so we, the people, will be able to decide how to fund, use those funds. Uh, we'll be able to actually, with those excess funds, fill some of those needs that are in the posts of C8 themselves. Gate itself will have the ability to fill some of those needs. I think this is a really cool idea. I'm happy to have you on the show and, and to talk about this and and uh, I'd love to hear more about it once you uh, get your Kickstarter going and, and uh, maybe you can come back on and uh, kind of do a demo for us as, as well. Before I let you go, big question for the day. What book or publication do you recommend to people that are interested in emergency management and specifically donation management type stuff? Well, I'd say the Sphere Handbook. It's, uh, it's considered the most widely known and recognized uh, set of common principles and universal minimum standards, uh, humanitarian response. And so I would go with uh, the Sphere Project and the Sphere Project Handbook cool. as cool. it relates. That's awesome. That's, a, that's, a, that's kind of cool. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the emergency management world before we, uh, before we let you go? The only thing I can say is that, like I said, I think that we all share the same frustrations. I think that we all realize that there, we can do better. Uh, whether it's food being going to spoil in, in the, on the docks in Puerto Rico, or whether it's that person that can't get their hands on a generator because they can't communicate that need to anyone, or whether it's abuses uh, in donations and the lack of transparency. I think on every level, I think we all know that we can do much better. And I think that once we put this tool, this tool right now, C8, is only what I've been able to create it to be, which I think is a game changer. But it's an open source tool. Once everybody gets involved in this, it's only going to be an even better tool. <laughs> I'm excited about it to beyond how I can explain, even if we're just talking about the direct donations part of it. <laughs> I said, Steve, thank you so much for being on. And... Uh... Like when you when you get the the demo up and ready to run, I'd love to have you back on so we can uh, can demonstrate it to everybody. And I look forward to hopefully seeing your Kickstarter campaign up here soon, and and we'll help promote that as well. Fantastic! I really appreciate your help, Todd, and uh, thanks to everybody at the Emergency Management Weekly. All right. Thank you.
Hi, this is Todd DeVoe from EM Weekly. If your company is in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we bring in experts in emergency management, response, and leadership from around the world, and they're here to share their best practices. Our listeners are eager to learn about new products and ideas, so this is the space for you. For more information, please contact Brian at brian at emweekly.com.